As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you're ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Necessarily the views of the station management or staff. Since individual situations can and will be different, please remember this when exercising any options presented by our guests. Success is equated with excess. The ambition for excess wrecks us. As the top of the mind becomes the bottom line, success is equated with excess. This is Care for My Wealth. With Mike Pilch and Chris Klein of Capstone Wealth Management, your fee-only investment firm. Now, here's your care for my wealth guys, Chris Klein and Mike Pilch. Welcome in. I am Mike Pilch along with the care for my wealth guy, Chris Klein. This is Care for My Wealth with Capstone Wealth Management a private fee-only financial planning and investment management service. So if you need a financial plan, they'll build it and help you monitor and maintain it through smart investment management. To get in contact with them, it's via phone, 866-596-9886, 866-596-9886. You can also send them an email, info at careformywealth.com, info at careformywealth.com. You can also check them out on Twitter at careformywealth. I am at MD Pilch. I've been fighting through... Some heavy chest congestion that just doesn't go away. Pollen season's here. I have really bad allergies. And I just cough probably nine months out of the year, Chris. Do you have the cough button ready to go? So It is, yep. You, <laughs> well, being the highly trained, highly paid radio professional that you are, I know that we'll have a flawless show without any cough button misses. Yeah, because that. we've always had a flawless show, yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, everything's flawless in the world of money, right? Yeah. No, no. Well, you've you've got some lunatic stuff going on right now. I guess maybe. Um, You just there's always you just never know how to read this market right now, and we've talked about that a lot. How it's been going, and right now, a word on a lot of people's mind that you've been hearing more than normal is inflation, and lately there's been a lack of it. So what does this all mean right now, Chris? Because I think that's going to be where we kind of focus most of our thoughts on today. Yeah, that you know, that is a good question. And there is a lot of conversation about, you know, inflation. It's, you know, 
it's hard to say why the conversation is happening. Um, maybe it's because there are so many people who are coming into their retirement ages that their minds are shifting towards fixed income assets. I mean, inflation is the key to fixed income assets. And so if you've got a lot of people who are coming into that, the baby boom generation and, and whatnot, then I guess it's reasonable that they'd be thinking along that way. Um, the issue is there isn't any inflation, and there isn't any to be expected in the future right now, at least based on the way the bond market's trading. That's right? weird. It, it is a little bit. Um, I mean, the yield on the benchmark 10-year Treasury, um, you know, it, I mean, that, that thing was rising towards like 320 in early October, 3.2%, right? And th- there was a survey that had come out by Bloomberg News, and it showed that there that, that none – of the more than like 50 or 60 different economists predicted that the U.S. Treasury, the 10-year yield, would would fall below 2.4%, at least by now, right? The median estimate in that survey that they did was Mm 3.33%. I mean, now that's a huge miss when you consider the fact that the 10-year Treasury is at about (laughs) 2.1%. About the only guy on the planet that I'm aware of that has consistently been able to call the 10 year treasury movement correctly is Gary Schilling. And right now he's still calling 1% treasuries over some time. You know, he's looking at it like probably over the next multiple years. But the reality is if you think about that for a minute, he's expecting interest rates to essentially get cut in half from where they currently are. And if you read any of his his papers and, and listen to any of his conversations, you know he, he's constantly talking about inflation con- being the key mm-hmm. to longer-term Treasury yields, regardless of whatever the actions by the Federal Reserve might be, regardless of whatever actions might be thrust on us from fiscal policy, stuff like that, right? The correlation between long-term Treasury yields and inflation well, at least as measured by the U.S. Labor Department's CPI, the Consumer Price Index, which, you know, that's always a little bit of monkey business, in my opinion, because right. it comes out and then it says, hey, this is the CPI minus food and fuel. I'm thinking, well, who does that? <laughs> Why would I care about an inflation rate if it doesn't consider food and fuel? I wouldn't even I, I wouldn't even pay attention to it, quite frankly. Last time I checked, those are two fairly important things in my life. Day by day basis. Yeah. Nevertheless, the uh, the Labor Department CPI over the entire post World War II era is 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 like a, is like a high end of like sixty percent, right? <clears throat> but when you go further out the yield curve, and what what gets important when you go farther out on the yield curve, it the less what the Fed does matters, the less of an impact it does matters, mm-hmm. right? If we look at how things have progressed historically, since the 1950s, when you get a 100 basis point move, which is a one percentage point movement, right? A 100 basis point move in the federal funds rate, on average, results in about a 44 basis point change in 10-year Treasury yields. Hmm. And just and only and, and so that's less than a half a percent and less than and about 20 basis points in 30-year yields, right? So my point there is that whatever the Fed does that we see with Fed funds rates uh, and and the the conversations that they have 
after their meetings, the less impact it has on longer-term treasuries. And that's simply because the market controls what's going on in these longer-term treasury yields, right? So since the Fed started raising rates back in December of 2015, the effects, if you really look at it, have been even less. And, and this is an interesting development, at least in the modern era. The, the 10-year yield should have risen about 99 basis points or close to one full percentage point in the response to the 225 basis point increase or the mm-hmm. 2.25 percentage point increase in the Fed funds rate. But instead, the yield actually fell 15 basis points, and the 30-year uh, Treasury dropped almost 40 basis points. <laughs> and again, that would have been expected to have about a half a percent jump, at least based on historical averages going back to like 1950. So the issue is that some people would look at that and say, well, man, that's, that, that's odd. That, I wonder if that's a U.S. thing. And in other words, is that happening only in the United States of America? And it's not. It's not just a phenomenon happening here in the United States. Every major central bank, Mike, has been pressing for faster inflation, and they've been failing miserably. They've mm. had zero success in being able to bring about any real inflation, other than, of course, people would point to asset inflation as it relates to the U.S. stock market. Although, did you know that basically the equity market is priced the same today as it was about 350 days ago? Yeah, because I think you mentioned that before. So, Had you not you know, mentioned it, treaded, I would have done that, though. No, it, it's treaded water, right? You know, so so the risk assets certainly during the time where the central banks have been attempting to build some degree of inflation could obviously very easily be seen in the equity market. Not all equity markets, because you know global equity markets didn't necessarily follow suit the same way. Some did. Um, some are calling for some global markets to do even better than America, uh, China. Some Asian uh, markets, uh, are many people are expecting to do even better. But nevertheless, my point with respect to these interest rate movements is that it's not just a phenomenon here in the United States and that every major central bank has been attempting to bring about inflation and they've been failing miserably at it. And, and so as a result, if you start looking at 10-year Treasury yields or sovereign yields, as we'd call them, in places like Germany and Japan and Denmark and the Netherlands, they're all negative again. And, and, and about somewhere to the tune of almost $12 trillion of debt on a global basis have now gone below zero. Hmm. Now, to me, that's astronomical to think that, I mean, okay, wait a minute. You mean to tell me that someone's going to take their money and give it to a government, and then they have to pay that government for them to hold their money? Yep. The answer is, yeah. That's what that means when you have a negative sovereign yield. So when we look at these kinds of phenomena, we have to ask ourselves, is that normal? And the answer is, that's not normal. And so we're investing in an environment that has a bunch of abnormalities, but at the same time, those abnormalities are being, oh, I guess maybe muted by the fact that so many central banks are controlling the process. I, you know, I've always hmm. said, goodness gracious, why do we allow 12 people yeah. which make up the Federal Open Market Committee to set prices of something that has such a monumental effect on the movement of so many other prices on a global basis? Wouldn't it be better to let 
the confluence of, of, of human thought that goes on through global markets dictate what short-term prices, short-term interest rates, that is, should be? I think that's a resounding, yeah, but hey, guess what? They don't call me for those kinds of things, and chances are really good. Well, I'm never going to see something like that in my lifetime either. So we have to deal with the cards we're dealt. We have to deal with the environment that is being foisted on us by all these central banks and by their actions and, and what they're doing. And, and so for as many outlets that might start to say, oh, yeah, but look at gold that's going up, that must mean inflation is, is happening, it's not coming through in the data. It's just not there. Hmm. I mean, the, pr- the producer price index, which everybody looks at very carefully because, it, well, it deals with the leading edge of where inflation ultimately might come from, the, the business side of things, right? <clears throat> the PPI rose only one-tenth of a percent in May from April and only 1.8% on a year-over-year basis. That's the smallest increase since the start of 2017. And, and so, you know... The expectation is that even more of a slowdown as prices of unprocessed goods just kind of fell out of bed from April, right? And it did. They just they just dropped. And it's hard to say exactly what the catalyst of that might ultimately be. But, you know, at the end of the day, that's kind of bad news potentially for corporate profits, which, of course, we know are getting dogged at least a little bit by a little bit of slowing sales growth. If you get slowing sales growth, obviously that can impact equity prices down the road. But at the same time, we we just can't ignore the power of a central bank and what they're doing in terms of flooding the market with, well, liquidity, their attempt to bring about inflation, their uh, their their lack of ability to have done it very successfully at this point. Some are saying the Fed already screwed up. They're already messed up by having raised rates when they right. shouldn't have been raising them at that time, but should have been raising them years earlier. Well, all right, fine. It is what it is. But what we have to do is kind of uncover what this potentially has an impact on for us as investors. And then we have to identify whether or not it's a big enough impact to worry about. Right. Mm-hmm. So, hey, there's my job. I'm going to give you something to find to worry about. I'm always looking. Right? That's you. Yeah, that's <laughs> you. And then you get to talk them off the cliff, too, a little bit. So we'll get into that. I'm going, to, so. I'm going to ask him about the D word on the other side, too, that being deflation. He already mentioned it in some overseas countries, and I'm going to ask him about that regarding North America. Care for my wealth with Capstone Wealth Management, a private fee-only financial planning and investment management service. You need a financial plan, they'll build it, then help you monitor and maintain it through smart investment management. You can get in contact with them at 866-596-9886. That's 866-596-9886. Or email them, info at careformywealth.com. That's info at careformywealth.com. This is Care For My Wealth with Capstone. Now you're 20. Now, two guys who care, Chris Klein and Mike Pilch. This is Care for My Wealth. With Capstone Wealth Management, I'm Mike Pilch, along with the Care for My Wealth guy, Chris Klein. Number of ways you can get in contact with them via phone at 866-596-9886. That's 866-596-9886. Or send them an email, info at careformywealth.com. That's info at careformywealth.com. 
Capstone Wealth Management, a private fee-only financial planning and investment management service. So if you need a financial plan, they're going to build it, then help you monitor and maintain it through smart investment management. All right, Mr. Care for My Wealth Guy. Whenever you talk about inflation and deflation or whatever it may be, it is extraordinary to me that overseas, you know, there's a lot of deflation going on, but there's some people I've heard recently say with the lack of big inflation we've seen in this country, we're almost at the point where we're at chronically low inflation and maybe could get to the point of deflation in the U.S. Now, I say, look, This is just doomsday scenario that sells and gets everybody's attention. But what are the odds of that actually happening? Yeah, that is a good question. And and a lot of it is just um, what we call bear porn. (laughs) Okay. Let's throw out the negativity so everybody's scared to death of a bear market. Yeah, basically. Right. I get it. You know, I I understand that that's clickbait and it sells and and all that's fine. And And, you know, to some extent, I understand the worry. You know, nobody wants to go through... A, a steep protraction or retraction of prices. I mean, you know, people felt it November, October through December last year, but we weren't in a recession, so we expected a V bottom, and that's exactly what we got. There are some, like, you know, when you when you talk about deflation, you, your mind has to automatically go to, well, that that's recessionary activity. Um, and you're right, it would be. There are some who believe that we're already in a recession. Yeah. And if that if that's true, and I don't, I don't believe that it is. I mean, I understand their perspective. Um, you know, I mean, the, the National Bureau of Economic Research are considered the arbiter of business cycles, right? Everyone recognizes them, and whenever you look at charts and stuff from the Fed, and you know, columns are grayed out of, oh, this is the beginning of the, the recession. The, the the National Bureau of Economic Research is the group of people who said it. Well. If we think back to the most recent one, <clears throat> they didn't declare recession, in, you know, in, as far as the uh, the uh, December 2007 start of that recession, right, mm-hmm. w- which we all recognize now that is the case. They didn't declare that until December of 2008. So, so it's not like this group of people is early telling people, hey, recession's around the corner. So... For some people who believe that we're already in a recession, I understand that. And if it's true, which I don't believe that it is at this point, but if it is true, it would further depress inflation, getting to the point of possible deflation, which, of course, nobody in the world of Federal Reserve or economics you know, is, is – um, is is keen on or or interested in, in letting have happen. So it's interesting because you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> so you're telling me there's a chance. Yep, exactly. <laughs> we always have to believe the possibilities of those things that seem improbable, right? You got to be and aware that anything could happen. Essentially, right? You got to be aware that anything can happen. And so here are the, th- the things that people point to that believe, hey, we're already in a recession and here's why. The the evidence that they'll give you are things like commodity prices that are falling on a global basis, right? And they're they're falling on a global basis for many reasons, mostly because of falling demand, or at least the expectation of of demand shrinkage. Um, The Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, the OECD, right? Uh, They have this leading indicator. It's called the Total Leading Indicator Index. That thing fell 1.4% in April from the year prior. Now, 
when you start to get that kind of activity, that's not something that says or screams, hey, recession right now. Mm -hmm. But it's not a good thing to see a total leading indicator fall to that extent, right? Um, A Federal Reserve uh, Bank of New York index, which measures the the probability of of recessions over the next 12 months and stuff like that, it's currently climbed to about 30%. Now, 30% obviously is not a majority, it's not over 50%, but it is the highest number that we've seen for probability of a recession since since like, you know, February, March of 2008. So... You know, it's something we got to pay attention to. And then I ran across something else that I found fairly interesting. There's a guy by the name of Dr. Harvey, hired, but you can you can find all sorts of interesting things from him. Um, He's written all sorts of papers that you know you can geek out on. I'm happy to email any of this stuff to anyone. Um, Dr. Campbell R. Harvey. But at any rate, uh, he's a professor and has all sorts of astute stuff going on. And and what he looks at is only two spreads in the bond market. He looks at the five-year, three-month treasury, and he looks at the 10-year, three-month treasury. Okay. We, now, it's not to take anything away from him. I mean, he's an incredibly bright guy, and he's done tons of research. And so for him, these are the indicators and the numbers that have worked well. We have found the two-year, ten-year Treasury to be a more um, accurate uh, predictor and 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 something that is beneficial as it relates to being an investor, right? Okay. <clears throat> but for him, his attempt is to try and pick and predict recession probability and be as accurate as possible. And so, you know, he's cautioned to some extent using the two-year, ten-year, or the two-year, one-year. Because he's of the belief that data is being mined to create these. Now, eh, that gets a little conspiratorial. Yeah, for very me. much so. I agree. <laughs> Nevertheless, I, as I said, you know, we are open to thoughts and we are open to perspective. It doesn't mean we're going to always agree with it, but we can certainly take it, chew on it, plug it in, get a look at it, do our own research, and come up with whether or not there's there's some validity to it. You know, as I mentioned, he looks at two two spreads, the five-year, three-month spread and the 10-year, three-month spread. Right now, both the five-year, three-month and the 10-year, three-month are inverted, meaning the three-month is higher than the five-year and the 10-year. And and his biggest signal that he's identified as a, 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 a recession predictor is the five-year uh, treasury and the three-month treasury and that if it's inverted for one full quarter, the probability of recession is very, very likely. All right, fine. It literally just completed a quarter of inversion. So does that mean we're automatically going to find ourselves thrust into a recession in the next several months? No, it doesn't. But I understand those who believe we're already in a recession are going to point to those elements that I pointed to a moment ago, like falling commodity prices and the OECD's indicator and Bank of New York probability measurements and all that sort of stuff and say, hey, it's already happened. <clears throat> We're already there. And then you have a guy like Dr. Gary jump in and and, and all of a sudden it's, you know, it's more doomsday. It's mm-hmm. more, hey, we're, we're going to go down the, the, the tube again. Eh, 
I'm not willing to say at this point that that's the case because the reality is, is that equity markets can move to the upside for a very long time when a lot of this data starts coming out. And the reason a lot of this data starts coming out is it creates an environment where everybody's worried. Yeah. And one thing that we've talked about for so long is that Wall Street has to have a wall of worry for it to climb. Yep. So the more data we find like this, the more stuff that we see being printed, the more stuff that we see being sent out that is, you know, bearish in nature, that is screaming, hey, recession is not only coming, but we're already here. You know, we're going to inherit more deflation from the global landscape because of of just the globalization that, that has gone on. I mean, all that stuff has the possibility of fueling a, a continued rise in equity for a period of time that could surprise a lot of people. You know, remember what I've always said, Mr. Market will always do the opposite of what most people think it will do. Right. Mr. Market does a very good job at, from time to time, making everybody Looks look bad. Foolish. Right. <laughs> look foolish, you know? So, you know, you start to look at some other things like, you know, spending. Obviously, spending by the American consumer is a very relevant thing. As, a- as humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. It relates to are we in a recession or not? You know what I mean? Obviously, if spending drops off a cliff, that impacts business. And then they start to cut prices on things to try and move their material, move their inventory. Well, if people see that and they feel like maybe prices are starting to fall, what do they do? They wait to buy, right? Well, waiting to buy is the same thing as not buying, and that can that can you know generate a, a cycle of deflation right there, right? What's happening with spending right now? Well, we know that spending by American consumers is decelerating. It's not falling off a cliff. But it is decelerating, but it's decelerating as their income, you know, after inflation that is being printed is kind of stagnant, right? And and so then we have to look at some other things like maybe industrial production. And what do we see there? We're seeing industrial production come down a tad. We're seeing growth in factory shipments and orders start to come off some, then certainly from what they were at the high point. Um, in May, for example, the, the payroll employment rose a lot less than what people expected. And I'm not sure what the anomaly was or even if there is one, but when you have payroll employment growth by only roughly 75000 and they, they recalibrated to the downside the two previous months, 
I mean, that's not the type of thing that you would want to see. That's the type of thing that someone who would say, we're already in a recession or we're very, very, very close to the beginning of one would point to and say, see, that's what you see at the, at the, at the early point of a recession. Yeah. I can't, I can't argue with that. You know, I, I can't argue that that's, that's the case. Um, then, of course, everybody points to the trade war. And, hey, look, the trade war is just going to continue to, to, to hurt both the U.S. And, and foreign economies. Well, that can be true to some extent. Obviously, you know, one of the things that can help minimize the impact of that kind of an event, a trade war, is, is uh, uh, currency manipulation. And then when you start to drop the value of currency, that starts to change the impact of how imports and exports are, are negatively affecting a country who might be on the, the wrong side of, of a trade war. And, you know, certainly based on what we've seen here in the near term, it's appearing like the dollar wants to fall. Hmm. We're, already, we're already seeing other currencies fall, you know, in, in other major markets. But, you know, it's, it's certainly acting that way. Some have suggested that actions by the administration and by central banks are, are working towards um, kind of what we'd call a race to the bottom in terms of the value of currency uh, as, as a, you know, kind of a response to what's happening in the whole world of this, uh, this, this trade war and, mm-hmm. and the potential impact of it. So I, there's a lot of things happening under the hood, Mike, and, and all I can say is that those who are predicting a recession are typically the same people who have been predicting it for the past several years. Right, and eventually they're going to be right. I understand that. But for the first time, yeah. it seems like Mr. Care for My Wealth guy is kind of agreeing a little bit with some of those doomsday scenarios. Well, I can't ignore the fact that the data is, and it's available for everybody to look at. I mean, the data is the data. And You're right. if the data is reading that it's giving us a tad of a perspective at the leading edge of activity that would be consistent with recessionary activity, well, then we have to consider the possibility that it could happen. What we have to remember, though, Mike, is that just because we might be on the leading edge of a recession with some of the data that's just starting to come out consistent with that, doesn't mean that it has to stay that way. Yeah, right. We could, you know, we could have a dramatic shift in a number of things from both consumer spending, industrial production, payroll growth, all that sort of stuff can change on a dime. We've seen it happen again and again and again and again. Mm-hmm. And, and it could be started with the Fed changing their stance from, obviously this last week the Fed met and they came out on Wednesday and didn't do anything. It could change a lot of things if all of a sudden they start to cut interest rates. And I'll tell you, I know we're a little long in the tooth here, so we'll take a break, but I'll tell you when we come back, there is an indicator that is screaming for the Fed to cut rates right now. Okay. And and it's usually right. Okay. So I'll share that with you when we come back. All right. He is the Care for My Wealth guy, Chris Klein. I'm Mike Pilch. Capstone Wealth Management, a private fee-only financial planning and investment management service. You need a financial plan, they're going to build it, then help you monitor and maintain it through smart investment management Get in contact with them via phone at 866-596-9886. That's 866-596-9886. Or send them an email, info at careformywealth.com. That's info at careformywealth.com. This is Care For My Wealth with Capstone Wealth Management. 
I am Mike Pilch, along with the Care for My Wealth guy, Chris Klein. number of ways you can get in contact with Chris via phone at 866-596-9886. That's 866-596-9886. You can also send him an email, info at careformywealth.com. That's info at careformywealth.com. You can also check him out on Twitter at careformywealth. So you left last segment, Chris, saying there's an indicator that's always been very, very accurate in predicting when the Fed should cut rates, and it is screaming for the Fed to cut right now. So tell us about it. Yeah, so it's the two-year Treasury, right? Okay. And, and realistically, and there have been a number of people in the industry who have been calling for um, our, our monetary policy to essentially just mimic what the two-year Treasury is doing. And instead, instead of allowing 12 people in a, in a private room to set interest rate policy on the short end of the yield curve, just let it be the two-year treasury. Let it float. Let it do what it's going to do, and it'll be fine. And there's a bunch of historical data that shows that we'd be way better off if the Fed would just simply follow the two-year treasury. In many instances, they ignore it, and then they're late, and then all of a sudden it's an oops moment. We're behind the curve. Um, either on the rising side or the uh, or the, the the reduction side, and right now the two-year Treasury is below Fed funds, which is telling everybody, "Hey, the Fed should cut. You got to get get in line, get consistent with mm-hmm. what this Treasury is telling you." So, you know, look, the Fed may cut the interest rate in in coming months. They may not. It, you know, they always say they're data dependent. Fed funds futures are trading at a rate right now that show them cutting at the next meeting. Um, as almost a certainty, you and I both know that could that could change. Yeah, you know, I don't think them. there's such a thing as a certainty, is there? <laughs> no, not in this stuff, no. not at all. But I can tell you this: there there certainly are a lot of equity investors who view a cut in interest rates by the Fed as an exceedingly bullish event, right? And that's fine. You certainly can have markets that move to the upside for a considerable period um, as the Fed cuts rates. But what we can't neglect is the is why is the Fed cutting, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if if you're viewing a cut in interest rates as bullish with no reason behind why you believe that, I think you're. I think those types of people simply are neglecting the central bank's reason for the cut. And in this instance, it's clear the reason why the Fed would cut is because of their belief that the economy is slipping. Right. And the likelihood, and likelihood, you know, once again, that, you know, the, the whole credit tightening event that, that they had going on a couple of years back is what's brought about the recession. If in fact it's happening, Right. The last time we went through and counted this stuff, 12 of the last 13 attempts by the Fed in the post-World War II period um, to simply cool down what they saw as an overheating economy, and their attempt to cool down the economy, of course, is done with monetary policy by raising interest rates and restricting some liquidity, things like that. But in 12 of the last 13 attempts for them to have done that, a recession followed. Hmm. The only time we ever got a soft landing in, in the process of them, them doing what they're doing is in the mid-1990s. And obviously, that was a very interesting time of our investing history because yeah. of those of us that remember what 
markets were like from, say, 1995 through 2000, uh, pretty good time to be an investor. Yeah, I'd <laughs> right? like to take a time machine back to about 1995 and buy Microsoft. <laughs> yeah, that would be a good buy. A whole host of names. That yeah, would be great yeah, because, that was uh, a good time to get involved. Yeah, you know, so could we have that same kind of an effect? We could. I mean, I can tell you this. I, 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 as I said earlier in the show, I don't believe that there is, at least at this point, enough prevailing evidence to suggest that we're already in a recession. Could it be happening? Yeah, it could. I, I'm not going to discount the possibility. And one of the things that we do see as we get into these later stage environments and these later stage events is, is, is indicator jumpiness, right. algorithm jumpiness, right? You know, things start reading big institutional momentum moving more quickly, and, and, and that, can, you know, that can be problematic, right? We try really hard to smooth that stuff out and make sure the programs are written in such a way to minimize the, the, the possibility of a trigger to say, it's time to leave because momentum has shifted, and then five days later, some monumental event takes place, like Powell coming out saying, hey, we'll do whatever's necessary to protect investments, <laughs> make stocks go up. Is that how he says it, you in know, that kind of voice and everything? Just, just like that, you know, almost like a Santa Claus with a, <laughs> uh, you know, with a bag of goodies over his shoulder. Yeah, you know, because I mean, that's how the market viewed it, was a great yeah. big bag of goodies. And, you know, the data was at that point, pointing to something other than what he said. But nevertheless, we're at a point where we know we may be closer in the later stages of an economic cycle. But again, that can go on for some time. You know, it's mm -hmm. not like if just because we begin the later stage of an economic cycle doesn't mean that three weeks later it all falls apart. That's not how it works, right? It can go on for a considerable period, months, in some cases, years. It's, it's just... It's dependent upon how the, the economic data continues to roll out. So just because we may have had a couple of bad months of data or data that appears a little bit more soft doesn't mean that we're just going to be going down the drain. Now, with that said, it certainly appears more likely than not that we are going to enter into, at the very least, a considerable neutral campaign by the Fed, if not a cutting campaign, right? Okay. And if that happens, treasuries should continue to benefit, certainly as havens, because there's a lot of global turmoil out there. And so a U.S. Treasury is a very desirable thing on the global stage in an attempt to get away from some of the tumultuous seas that these other major countries are, are having to deal with. And, and we get it. So they're very attractive to foreigners, especially the fact that our 10-year yields are way above what other developed nations are in most cases. As we said, Germany's negative, and the Netherlands, yeah. Japan. I mean, I, the possibility of throwing your money into something for 10 years and having to pay someone to hold it is just insanity. But it's, it's happening. It's out there. And so, therefore, the U.S., with at least positive yields to, you know, a couple of percentage points, is a huge safe haven for most major institutional investors that are just attempting to get away from some of the, 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 the bumps that they're, you know, running into. <clears throat> but, you know, as I said before, a guy by the name of Gary Schilling is expecting the current 10-year Treasury to drop to 1%. 
Now, let me give you the effect of that just real quickly. If you had a drop in the 10-year Treasury yield from the current level of roughly 2.1% down to 1%, if it happened over a year's period, you'd get a return of about 11% Mm. on that Treasury. Mm. The price would would just move up. It'd be a smaller drop in 30-year. If you got a smaller drop in the uh, 30-year bond yield, say from 2.6 to 2%, that's a 13% return. So, you know, we're at a point where when you're creating portfolio construction, we have to be sensitive to to two things. One, we have to be sensitive to momentum. We have to understand where momentum is coming from and what's happening, and that gives us an indication of how to be invested in equities and to what extent. Right now, we're not convinced that momentum is just all the pedal down. I know that sounds odd to somebody that might be just tuning into this show for the very first time, given the fact that the S&P 500 hit an all-time high this week. (laughs) You know, someone that hears, oh, the pedal's not all the way down. You know, understand when I say that, it's not based on what you see with price. It's what's happening under the hood. You know, it's what's happening with advancers versus decliners. It's what's happening with you know, all the, the, the momentum of institutional money and, and commercial hedgers and, and all that sort of yeah. stuff. And so we have to pay attention to and be sensitive with the momentum numbers, but we also have to be sensitive to the interest rates. If, in fact, we get a decline in interest rates and we have the capacity to invest in, say, an exchange-traded fund that holds either treasuries or intermediate-term corporate bonds, and the possibility of an increased total return on that bond beyond just its yield is is probable, well, then that helps us to reduce volatility, mm-hmm. right? And we're always attempting to reduce volatility for those clients who, who need it. And, and, you know, how do we know they need it? Well, we take them through a discovery process to help them figure out how they view risk and whether or not their perception of risk is accurate for their circumstances. And just because you and I might have the same perception of risk, Mike, doesn't mean that your um, answer of being super conservative is right and my answer of being super aggressive is wrong. Right. right? It's, it's, it's dependent upon your own individual financial circumstances. It is. Well, to, it is. But isn't there kind of a point where if you're younger, you really should invest a little more, like a higher percentage, take on more risk? More probable than not, but at the end of the day, balance is important because if every day of your life you're looking and worrying about your money put away and the volatility, jumpiness, and and bounciness that your portfolio is going through, I don't know that that's a great answer if we find through some financial planning that your total rate of return that you need to achieve your goals and objectives that you've staked out is X – and if we can hit X with only 70% of the volatility that the typical index or the typical market would come out with, well, then why wouldn't we consider that, mm. right? Yeah, sure. My, po- my point is is that it requires a little bit of discovery. You just can't throw it in the air and say, ah, the heck with it. I'm going to do this. You know, it's being in a position of understanding risk at this stage of the game is so important. I just can't, I just can't point to it enough. Because not enough people are thinking about risk management at the tops of markets. Now, don't misconstrue what I'm saying. I'm not saying we're at the top of the market. But what I'm saying is that if, in fact, we're entering into a later stage portion of the economy, or if, in fact, 
any of these people who are out there who are saying we're already in a recession are, are right, well, then that means we're more likely than not closer to a market's top than a market's bottom. Now, I can give you more data and more details and more examples of people who are saying, nah, we just came off of a bear market. Chances are we're closer to the bottom. Right. What we have to, what we have to try and do is decipher the best actions for the benefit of our clients. Now, for us right now, what we're seeing is that on the whole, markets are safe. But on the whole, there is enough data to make us nervous. <laughs> Just because we're nervous doesn't mean we're not invested. Mm-hmm. We're not 100% invested. And the reason why we're not 100% invested is we've not yet had the remaining bullish trigger that we were hoping to get with the current rally. And so some would say, well, yeah, but you just missed it. Well, I don't think that we've missed anything. I think what we've done is institute and follow our plan of risk reduction, because that's the objective. We need to not just manage investments. We need to manage risk. And, and if in the event any of these guys that are out there that are suggesting that interest rates could drop by 50 percent, mm-hmm. I find that I find that stunning. That's kind of a ridiculous idea. You know, but the people who are suggesting it have been very right on interest rates for a very long time. And, you know, when I see that, I say to myself, well, okay, just because they've been right in the past doesn't mean they will be in the future. I understand all that, but history is on their side. So I have you know, to consider it. You keep bringing up, you know, history's on their side. I know what you're saying there, but it kind of goes back to something you had mentioned earlier, you know, so-and-so, an expert or an expert in your business or somebody that people think highly of, and they've got a good track record predicting things. One guy like that will say one thing, and another guy like that will say something else, and another guy will say something else. It's like you get, you know what I mean? It's like, hmm, one of them isn't going to be right all the time. And it seems like that always happens. Well, that, no, that's true. And and I'm not going to disregard that for us. This is going to sound probably a little bit odd for us. We don't care. What I mean by that is that we're going to make our adjustments based on what's happening in momentum as it relates to equities and what's happening with interest rates. We're not going to predict anything. We're not going to attempt to predict anything. Now, let me throw this at you, because this is a stunning development that has taken place since, like, I, the early 1980s. Well, how about right? you do that on the other side, because we got to get a break in here. So, All right, that's fine. Yeah, it's just we, a quick blurb that might be interesting. Okay, we'll do that on the other side. He is the Care for My Wealth guy, Chris Klein. I'm Mike Pilch. 866-596-9886, the phone number to get in contact with him. That's 866-596-9886. Or email them info at careformywealth.com. That's info at careformywealth.com. This is Care for My Wealth with Capstone Wealth Management. This is Care for My Wealth with Capstone Wealth Management. I am Mike Pilch along with the Care for My Wealth guy, Chris Klein. Now, Chris, you were going to make a comparison of the total returns of the Treasury against the S&P 500 and some interesting uh, pieces of information there. Well, so here's the point. I think most people would say there's no way that a U.S. Treasury... And because, again, our most recent expectation of treasuries is they're going to yield you, you know, 2%, right? And most people only look at the yield versus the total return on that bond uh, or on the bond investment. And, again, if interest rates decline, the 
bond price goes up. So if you look at what a U.S. Treasury, a 30-year Treasury, was yielding back in the early 1980s, it was about 14 and a half, almost 15 percent, right? At that time, there were some very, 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 very intelligent people who were saying, hey, there's going to be a bond rally of a lifetime. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? There has been. But most people, when you say the bond rally of a lifetime, don't even get close to comparing or equating that with a stock rally. And most people would suggest that the rally that has been seen in equities from the bottom of the great financial crisis in 2009 to, say, the top in 2018 was pretty darn good, was was kind of a rally of a lifetime, right? Mm. But if you compare from the early 80s to basically now, both U.S. Treasuries and the S&P 500, Treasury's total return have been five times greater than that. Wow. Now, why do I think that's valuable? The reason I think it's valuable is, does anyone really think that that's going to continue? Does anyone really think that our interest rate cycle is going to get to the point where we in the United States of America mimic Japan and go completely negative for years on end, causing an additional rally of a lifetime in Treasury? Yeah, that would be anarchy. I personally don't think that that's going to be the case, but at the same time, if I'm going to be a reasonably decent, intelligent investment manager, mm-hmm. I have to consider the possibility, right? right? <clears throat> so again, what we want to do is pay attention to risk, pay attention to momentum, understand interest rates, and then construct portfolios that are consistent with the way people view risk and try to minimize the bumpiness so that they don't make bad decisions when it gets uncomfortable. That's what's really, really hard to do. And so, yeah, we may see an interest rate cut here over the next several weeks and several months. We may see several. I don't know. But we have to be careful about how the market responds to that. And if the cut is happening because the Fed believes the economy is completely going in the dumper, well, then that's a different perspective. All right. How do people help develop that? How do people get in contact with you real quick? 866-596-9886 or info at careformywealth.com or go online, careformywealth.com and take our test. Does my portfolio fit me? Thanks. Just a couple of minutes to do. He is Chris Klein. I am Mike Pilch. Talk to you in a week. This is Care For My Wealth with Capstone Wealth Management. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.